All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and this is Note to Self, the tech show about being human. Many of you got very into an episode that we did a few weeks ago. It was about how to get out of your online echo chamber. Basically, ways of getting different perspectives into your digital life. Because social media and online search algorithms don't always make it easy. But with the help of some friends at BuzzFeed, we talked specifics about how to expose yourself to other points of view. A good feed should always be 10% infuriating. I loved reporter Katie Natopoulos' suggestion of a metric, a metric for success, for making sure that you see online points of view that you actually really don't necessarily agree with. And a lot of you told us you are working hard to do just that. Hey, Manoush, this is Grant from South Florida. Just listened to your episode, How to Shake Up Your Echo Chamber. I, in particular, have a few key people on my Facebook that have wildly different political views than me, just so I can kind of understand how the other side thinks. And I I find it's uh, pretty valuable. Thanks for the episode. But there were also some listeners struggling to figure out where to draw the line between getting a broader perspective and just aggravating to no real purpose. Hi, I'm Zoe. I'm from New York, and I'm a computer science student. I'd like to think that I have a pretty diverse Facebook feed and I'm exposed to a lot of opinions that go beyond my white, straight, cis existence. But listening to your podcast made me start to worry if my daily source of news is diverse enough. Like, do I have an obligation to give anti-abortion activists, Trump supporters, or guns rights activists the time of day? Is there any value in reading Fox News or Bro Bible on a daily basis? Thanks. Zoe, I got to say that I do agree. There are only so many minutes in the day to spend on people who make your blood pressure skyrocket. Listener Hannah Ryan in Philadelphia is trying to work this conundrum out, too, particularly as the upcoming presidential election gets more attention. I consider myself a liberal, and I've noticed that I only follow left-wing news. This tends to reinforce the idea that my political leanings are the answer to all issues. How can I diversify my political understanding without becoming unreasonably frustrated? I want to understand the other side. I don't want to be annoyed by them. And it's not only the election, right? Tense, racially charged protests have been happening on college campuses all over the country. Students of marginalized populations. Global conflicts are unfolding. Feels like everywhere. There are debates over migrants and religion and counterintelligence and privacy. So it seems like a meaningful time to reprise one of our most popular episodes from last year. We did this episode to help deal with some of the racism that people said they were seeing in their networks right after the violence and protests in Ferguson, Missouri, and then here in New York. 
some extremely smart and empathetic people helped us lay out a strategy on how to deal with people saying genuinely offensive things in your newsfeed. Or, you know, like at the Thanksgiving table. We call this one, so your Facebook friend said something racist. Now what? And the episode started, as our best episodes often do, with stories from listeners. My story is that I had a friend that I worked with. I recently had a dialogue on Facebook with a friend of mine about immigration and executive orders. One of my elementary school friends who I grew up with posted a story about hair salons accepting EBT cards. And it just got really uncomfortable because the posts he was making were about Hispanic people and I... I'm married to a Hispanic man. And some of her friends started to chime in and they made fun of African-Americans on the way that they spoke and how they were going to get their hair did. A friend of theirs, whom I didn't know, interjected a, uh, a picture. And this was a photo of our current president. By the time they got to the whole Chinaman thing and doing the nails, I just said, you know what, this is just too much for me. A noose was photoshopped in, so now it looks like someone's putting a noose around his neck, and it was entitled, Hope on a Rope. It's what everyone's been waiting for. Now, I no longer see racist comments on my Facebook page because I deleted my Facebook page. Those were stories from listeners Rebecca Martinez, Jason Gonzalez, and Tamika Cody. Things can get ugly out there in Facebook land. We commissioned a little survey of 300 Facebook users, and nearly half said they'd seen a race discussion show up in their newsfeed in the past month. But get this. 30% of them said they had considered unfriending or blocking a Facebook friend because of offensive posts about the news or social issues. So what should we do when racist comments flood into our social media feed? Do we just unfriend the offender? Do we call them out or even pick a fight? Or take the path of least resistance? Just ignore it and hope it goes away. That's the real deal, man. Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen is a New Yorker. He's a friend of the show. He's in his late 30s. What are you? 37, I think. He's got 4,000 Facebook friends. It's a lot of friends because he's a really nice guy. And since we're talking about race here this week, and this is radio, we're going to add that you are black, Ibrahim. Yeah, 100%. I'm as black as they get, I guess. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of the racial mix of your friends, over you said 4,000 of them, mostly white, mostly black, nice mix. I would say it's probably a healthy mix. I mean, I went to... I used to live upstate New York, New England. I've lived in California. So I think the mix reflects the demographics of those places. And so if you had to use like three words to describe your Facebook feed normally, what would you say? Like I would congenial? Say it, what's that? Congenial? Yeah. People are generally in good spirits. There's usually a nuance of difference about a particular issue that may be the, the story of the day or the conversation of the day. And then there's generally a banter about sports that probably takes up too much time. Okay, so now I want to take you back, though, to when Ferguson happened and Michael Brown, that unarmed black teenager who was shot by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. There was months of tense waiting. And then the officer, Darren Wilson, was not indicted by a grand jury. Things got heated, very heated in Ferguson. And what happened on your Facebook feed? So everything I started putting up 
people started to comment from wide places on my network, just just crazy people that I hadn't even thought about in probably like 20, 30 years. And um, all of a sudden, there was like people from elementary school arguing with people from college. And it got a little bit ugly. Do you have any examples that you can give us? <sighs> well, okay. So there's a, a classic comment that has come up in a lot of different places from mostly white members on my Facebook feed that says, well, more black people kill black people than white people kill black people. And that – and on that day, my emotions with that were just – it just broke my heart because, OK, sure, that might be true. But that – and I had no actual way to respond to it. I had no – you know, I, you, know you, you look for something witty or you want to say something brilliant or smart. You want to say something cutting or, or the right thing. But then what ends up happening on Facebook is that you just like vomit, right? It's unedited, emotional barrage. And, you know, Facebook gives you the space to just let it out. And did you? Um, I did a lot of times um, and would go would try and go tit for tat with different people. People started inboxing me directly being like, why don't you just cut these people off your Facebook feed? I see it as my network and a, a, a digital representation of my network and almost like an archive of the people that I've encountered and come across. And if I want to understand my story, my history, all of the ways that I've come about, that this is one of those vehicles for me to really, it's almost like this weird digital therapy space where you can kind of get to the heart of who you are via who the people you've in, interacted with. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. What you're saying is like, this is the fabric of your life and it has white threads and it has black threads. Right. And it has people that, yes, when I went to college, I met a guy who had a SWAT sticker tattooed on his arm and I played football with him and we had to support each other. And we're still friends on Facebook. Ibrahim won't unfriend people, even a guy with a swastika. Last year, the American Values Survey found that white Americans have social circles that are, on average, 91 percent also white. Black Americans average a social circle that's 83 percent black. So when it comes to talking about anything offline in real life, we definitely tend to talk to people of our own race. So what about online? Well, we called up Facebook, and a friendly company spokesperson told us that they don't track the racial composition of people's friends on the social network in any way. So we have a tendency to build these social networks that are more alike us than different from us. Uh, we might see differences of opinions in our Facebook groups, but networks hold together a little bit uh, based on similar attitudes. Shannon Rao is a social psychologist at Benedictine University in Illinois. And Rao did a study to see how people respond to comments about race on Facebook. We created a Facebook page for a fictional person. This person was a young white male. Uh, we showed it to Internet users. And then they responded to it. So hundreds of people in her sample, they were all white on Facebook. They were each shown one of three fake messages from this fake account. So the first message recognized discrimination is still a real problem. The second message was overtly racist, laying out reasons why whites are superior. And people responded to those two messages as you'd hope. Participants agreed with that first message and they really rejected the overt racist message. They rejected racism. Phew. It's a relief, right? OK, but then Rao and her team put out a third message from this fake Facebook guy. Still racist, 
but from a different angle. We called it the victim message. And in this message, the writer discussed why whites are the most oppressed group in America today. And we found a high level of agreement with this message, particularly among people who use Facebook frequently. Wedged between sports scores and gossip, this less obvious racist message wasn't flagged. People just sort of, you know, they went with it. And here's the thing. If nobody takes issue with ugly comments, then they just start to seem normal. When messages are kind of more subtle and are more in line with what they would already agree with, they can be pretty powerful. But here's what I found really intriguing. Rao says this subtle message is really most powerful when it's shown to what she calls frequent Facebook users. People who are on there all the time, you know who they are. They really want to be part of a group. They're there to be social, be part of a community. They're not just popping on occasionally to get some quick information. So if you're really the kind of person who's using Facebook, you're motivated to to connect with others, to gain social approval. We find that those people are a little bit more swayed by a, a subtly racist message. That is depressing. Makes me wonder if finding a community online can mean losing the ability to think critically. Okay, so those were your facts about racist posts on Facebook. Now we're going to get to what to do about it. Look, this stuff can be tough to talk about. I'm in my own Brooklyn media elite stroller pushing bubble most of the time. I'm trying to climb out with you. Coming up. A solid, actionable, four-step plan you can put to use when you catch something racially offensive coming at you. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and this is an update of an episode that we did in the wake of the protests in Ferguson, Missouri. But it really applies to any tough, maybe even offensive conversations or feeds about race and politics, discussions that are happening both online and off. It isn't always easy to speak up, which is why we wanted advice from someone who helps people talk about this stuff every single day. Hi, how are you? DeWitt Campbell III has worked in social services for more than 15 years in St. Louis. Now he's a program associate and dialogue facilitator with the National Conference for Community and Justice. We go into schools and work with teachers and administrators. We go into social service agencies and for-profit businesses that ask us to come in to help them experience difference. So tough conversations, even online, can be constructive if they're done right. DeWitt says he's seen it happen with teenagers at summer camp, warring co-workers, even on his own Facebook feed. I think a lot of people have been having pretty negative experiences with talking online. And I have actually felt that my experiences online have actually been very positive because I have the opportunity to stop and pause. Now, I understand you have an acronym, actually, that... spells out your process for how you do this. Do I have this right? It's called LARA? 
Lara, yeah. Um, Lara is a great tool that we use um, through NCCJ. We use in most of our training about having difficult conversations. Our normal use is for when you're one-on-one or in person having these conversations. But I'm finding that I really like to practice using Lara online. And would so you like me to through go through it? Yeah, 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 sure. go for it. So the, the first um, letter is L, and that stands for listen. And, you know, lots of people think that they listen. But I want people to imagine that the person that they're listening to is their favorite person, alive or dead, in the whole wide world. And even if you didn't like what they were saying, you would have so much reverence, so much respect, that you would give your entire attention to what they're saying. And... When you're doing that listening, you're looking to find places to connect, where I think a lot of times when we're having conversations about race, we are looking for places to disagree. And Laura is asking us to look for places to agree. Following from that listening is to affirm what they're saying. There's real magic in the process of affirming the other person's point of view. Even when folks are saying things that are uh, pretty triggering, you're looking for some, some nugget of, of information in what they're saying that you can affirm. Um, one of my hot buttons is when people say, oh, I don't see color. Um, we're all just the same. And to me, based on my education, I hear that to mean that if, if I could just do away with my race, then I could be equal with other people. Or um, if you do away with my race, then I'll be more white. And, and so that's kind of a triggering thing for me. Hmm. But if I'm listening with, if I'm really listening to what they're saying, I think that generally speaking, what they're trying to convey is the idea that they want everybody to be treated equally. Mm-hmm. And with, with affirmation, you're really earnestly looking for something that you can connect with and say, I agree with that portion of what you're saying, or I can see where you're coming from. Okay, so we're at listen and affirm, and we're going to go to R. But before we go to R, I just want to say, like, I say that all the time, that I think we're all just the same underneath. So the fact that that was something that you would have to work to affirm um, is very interesting and eye-opening to me already. So just putting that out there to it. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, and and the, the reason for that, actually, is that the, the totality of who we are is really important, and it means a lot, and it speaks to our history. It speaks to my daily experience. It speaks to your daily experience, um, who you are, how you're comprised. And to kind of try and wipe those things away, um, I think, leaves us very bare. Hmm. That, is that respond, R, respond right there, what you just gave me? I, that, actually, that, that, that is responding. Okay, so listen, L, affirm, A, respond, R. One more A to go. Absolutely, and that's add information. And at this stage, you're trying to uh, come up with something that continues the conversation. Um, when I'm not on, on top of my game and I get triggered and I'm having a conversation, um, my goal is often to kind of shut down the conversation and say something so profound that the other person feels bad about themselves or <laughs> feels frustrated and they don't want to talk. So when we're adding information, we're just looking for some way to continue the conversation. So I might say, now, at one point in time, I also said that 
I don't see color. And it took me a while to come to a different understanding of that. Is that kind of where you were coming from? Mm. And, and hopefully that's um, leading to more conversation. So what you're saying is that Lara was originally developed to be done in person, but you think it works just as well in social media. I think it works even better in social media because my affirmation doesn't have to be in the moment. My listening doesn't have to be perfect the first time around because the text still remains. So I think it actually um, is a great place to practice it. DeWitt, thank you so much for your time and explaining Lara to us. No problem. Glad to do so. DeWitt Campbell III is a social service worker and dialogue facilitator with the National Conference for Community and Justice in St. Louis. If you think someone in your Facebook circle should hear this story, share this episode on your Facebook feed, tag them in a post. We've also got a handy-dandy Facebook-friendly guide to Laura for you and yours to share in the spirit of civilized dialogue. You can get it at noteselfradio.org. Print it out handed out this holiday season. Next week, walking and texting. Wexting. That is the worst portmanteau I've ever heard, and I love you for saying it. (laughs) We hate people who do it, and yet we catch ourselves walking and texting, wexting, all the time. We're talking tech etiquette with a special guest, and we have a little early holiday treat for you coming, too. Subscribe on iTunes. Or anywhere you listen to podcasts to see your little treat pop up in your podcast feed. Yum, yum. The Note to Self team wishes you peace, love, and harmony. Meanwhile, Ariana Tobin, Joe Plord, Jen Poyant, Miranda Katz, and I are sending you good vibes. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios, and I'm Manoush Samarodi. Fascism, fascism? Oh, ha ha ha. <laughs>